Hey, 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 what's up, everybody? Welcome back. Welcome back after a long hiatus to episode 39 of the Whistling in the Dark podcast. I'm Patrick Bradley. I'm down here in Atlanta, Georgia. Today is Saturday, January 18th, 2020. So, yes, it's been a long time. I'll briefly talk about why. It's not a big deal, but um, just a lot of stuff in my life. I bought a house. That was the main thing. So I had to tear, kind of take down the whole studio. Um, a lot of the stuff wasn't mine, so I had to kind of give it back and move into my new house, <clears throat> kind of get stuff set up, and then was just hit by a series of holidays, which um, just completely got me off off track. Uh, I also um, did one interview during this time. Um, Actually, I may have even done an episode after that, but that, uh, I don't know if that will ever get out because we did it on video and, um, one of the camera feeds is like, we have been unable to get it. I feel like it would just look really weird because the whole thing was set up to go between two cameras. So neither one is set, uh, to see us both at the same time. Plus, the topic is, like, pretty far out there. Um, I almost feel like it's an episode I'd have to do with a disclaimer. I mean, I think I generally am talking about libertarian stuff, anti-war. You know, when I have gone into the Epstein stuff, I mean, there's certainly no topic that I consider off limits or anything. Um, I think it just depends on, you know, the treatment of the topic and I don't know. We'll see. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, I do have the audio for it, so I could put that up. Um, I know the person I interviewed has really been wanting <laughs> me to to do it. Um, but yeah, it's pretty out there. Um, you know, I mean, I, it's interesting, I guess. Uh, I'm just afraid that it's like kind of off topic. Anyway, that being said, it has been... You know, as usual, uh, crazy three months in the U.S. and the world in news. Um, even though I had not been podcasting, the liars have been lying and lying. Um, I think since I broadcast, Trump was impeached, so I, I don't think that had happened yet. Um, you know, I, I mean, most of this stuff I think I'm just going to jump through. Just kind of mention that I am aware that this happened. Um, you know, I think the you know covering the Trump impeachment, you know, a couple months later in detail is probably not uh, very interesting. I'm sure. You know, I've I've listened to lots of coverage over it, and you know, I mean, my take on it is, it you know, it seems just literally a hundred percent uh political uh you know like you know ron paul will tell you or you know pretty much anybody else said we'll listen to dave smith whatever um clearly trump should be impeached uh, but not for the reasons that they're saying so you know it's i don't know and and i mean what's what's the gain from you know people on the libertarian uh end of the spectrum you remove trump and and put in pence i'm 
to me that just leaves you with somebody that's definitely not going to give any pushback against the deep state or the establishment at all. Whether Donald Trump actually is, uh, is another, you know, we can talk about that at another time, uh, but I don't really see a whole lot um, of a victory for us, you know, on the libertarian side by a Trump impeachment and you know, he's probably not going to get removed from office, but you know, if he did, uh, I just, I just don't see, I mean, it's just, to me, it, it actually is kind of bad because it, <clears throat> it's just like one more step away from reality and one more step further into deep state control, you know, the, the people that are in power that don't get elected have that much more control. Um, I still think it's possible that Trump is part of their plan and he's just really playing the part uh, pretty well that he's opposed to, you know, these deep state people or whatever. I don't know. Um, but you know, as far as the people that I interact with on a daily basis, you know, it's it's not great. And uh, when I talk to my, you know, as I've said before, I mean, most of my friends and probably my very close friends tend to lean uh, libertarian. And I, it's a little maybe more instinctual than you know, what it is for me or, you know, I don't think they spend tons of time reading about it. And, and I think a lot of them that that lean that way were swayed that way from some other positions, just from constantly hearing me ramble on about, you know, politics or anti-war or against the war on drugs or against the Fed or, you know, talking about the free market or whatever, um, just the non-aggression principle in general. But outside of that, you know, most of my friends are liberal Democrats, you know, even go as far as being socialist. I mean, it's become very, very popular, I think, uh, amongst young people to be anti-capitalist. <clears throat> I really doubt they know what they're really saying, um, you know, when they say that. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I guess that they're, yeah, I. Uh, my my interactions with with young people that are anti-capitalist they tend to have not deeply you know considered this stuff yet and i know for myself i mean i don't i don't think i really formed any kind of stable opinion probably until my late 20s um and I don't know when you see people in high school going out and um, protesting and everything. It, I just really have my doubts. They have actually formed their own thoughts and looked at different competing ideas. I think they are just riled up in one direction. And it really makes me wonder about the 60s. Uh, you know, as a 
I'm a, the tail end of Generation X. I was born in 77, graduated high school in 95. Uh, at that point, we, you know, in high school, we had the uh, Gulf War or the, you know, the the first one where it was mostly just bombing and stuff like that. And there were some other political things. I mean, I guess the Clinton in no, that would have been after. Yeah, I mean that that was old Bush that did the uh, first Gulf War. There's a lot of um, well, the Iran Contra affairs, um, just a lot of you know all the stuff in South America and Central America through the 80s was while I was in school. Um, but I mean, outside of the Gulf War. And I do recall the Iran Contras. I was pretty young. I just remember Oliver North, and I, I remember liking him. That's all I could really recollect. But I didn't have much of an opinion at all. Um, I mean, the Gulf War was broadcast on TV, and I remember, and I, I may be. Conflating the first one and the second one. I remember Wolf Blitzer. That was the main guy. And I mean, it was entertainment. The only, I mean, the, what I, what I really remember as far as the first kind of negative feelings I had about it were a buddy of mine, his dad was a cameraman for, I believe, ABC, and he had a video, a bunch of raw footage, and some of it was from the Gulf War and the bombings of, I mean, it was like troops or whatever. Basically, it was just videos of a bunch of dead bodies just burned and, you know, twisted and just totally mangled and that was coupled with uh one of my brother's friends had been in the war and i believe he was in a tank we'll say battalion i don't know squadron I don't, i'm not sure what the right terminology is for what he was a part of and he said i remember him telling us that basically they didn't fight anybody. They would basically become aware or, or some, you know, they would see that there's some enemy, you know, Iraq forces some number of miles away in front of them. And they would radio to the uh, attack choppers and they would just fly over. And whatever, 10 minutes later, just they'd fly back over them the other direction. And eventually their, you know, battalion or whatever would get up there and everybody was dead. And they said, essentially, that was just that was essentially what the war was like for him. And I was, you know, really, you know, those are my early impressions of the war, you know, and outside of that, I remember hearing about Vietnam and I remember Vietnam definitely because there were so many Vietnam movies and 
it seemed like a big clusterfuck. Although, you know, there was definitely a part of me that felt like I still definitely bought that the North Vietnamese were the bad guys. And certainly Iraq seemed bad uh, to me. But these two things certainly affected me. And, you know, it's hard to I've never really tried to just go back and track. But I I do think it's interesting and I, I think it would be great if. You know, we could better understand how we became anti-war and then try to replicate that and set up the uh, situation that others who are not anti-war could move over move over to our side. And maybe we could help make the world a better place. Um, but I do remember that. And, and I remember, you know, feeling something weird about that you know not that i want my friend um or my you know my brother's friend but you know certainly i'd known him for years as well not not that i want this guy going into dangerous battles but you know something in the back of my mind felt like this seems like you're just murdering people um you know where's the where's the offense like where you know where is the like if they're just sitting there and then you're coming up and just murdering them and you're going in there you know it just didn't make sense and and I don't think that I thought a ton about it but I certainly didn't (laughs) feel good about that and I didn't like seeing all these bodies and everything um and then I can recall after 9-11 or on 9-11 uh 2001 my feeling uh, you know, I, I was pretty late to even realizing what was going on. I was I lived in in Philly, you know, pretty downtown near like, you know, I could walk out of my front door and look and see skyscrapers not that far away. I could easily walk to them in like 10 minutes or something. I remember after finding out, you know, what happened, I, I didn't really have like TV per se in, in our uh, house. So I was. I went to a friend's house and was watching the coverage. And this was after both buildings had collapsed. But I remember walking and just looking at the buildings, like while I was going to the train. It's just like, fuck, man, I could like I actually felt afraid. You know, I, I could feel it to some extent. You know, I mean, shit, like it was all around Philadelphia. It was in like western Pennsylvania and then north and south of Philadelphia. So it was north, south. Uh, and west of Philly all had planes crashed um you know DC New York and then western Pennsylvania and nothing happened in, in Philly but you know I was pretty weird and but I just remember the distinct thought was just so sad you know just how many people died and then my the the next thought that that came in my head was so many more people are gonna die now because of this you know, and I don't know. So, I, you know, maybe I was sort of genetically predisposed to be anti-war and to just see things in that way. You know, to, to know that, man, like a bunch of innocent people are going to pay for this. Uh, you know, that was clear in 2001 to me. And, you know, I was, what, 24 years old? And, you know, without really reading much of anything. So, 
I'm not sure if I am going to be really able to get into the mindset of somebody that just really, really buys into this stuff, uh, this propaganda. Um, now, I mean, that's not to say I, I'm like impervious to it. Uh, I don't know that I had like a huge problem with it back then. It just like didn't feel good. It, you know, it felt like this is just all bad. But I really didn't know, you know, I, I didn't necessarily, I don't think I necessarily saw the U.S. as the anta antagonist. You know, I had no sense of the history of what was going on there. Um, so, you know, anyway, that was a huge tangent, which is really feel, it feels very natural to go in and start talking about Iran, uh, and what's going on there now. And that's what I do want to make the bulk of this podcast about. Um, but I just wanted to kind of touch on the other, you know, the other big, <clears throat> Well, some are big news. Some are big news to libertarians, or, but you know the things at least the the highlights of what happened. And um, you know, anyway, all all that was about kind of dealing with the uh, the liberal and the young liberal today, and you know how anti-capitalist they were versus you know where my mind was at at sort of a similar age and how, you know, less sort of focused I was, you know, I didn't, I mean, I would say, you know, I don't think I was getting propagandized nearly to the extent and nearly at the age that they were. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, but I really don't think so. You know, I, 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 I just, I don't know, you know, I, I, I didn't have this intense hatred for the president or, you know, love. I mean, I did, I think, for Ronald Reagan, but then you're talking, I was very young, you know, during that time. And certainly I liked that guy, but he just seemed like a father figure to me who was just happened to be a kid without a father. So I don't know, you know, he's, he seemed like a really nice kind of older guy that I don't know. But anyway, but, you know, and and it's not just so I uh, I actually wrote like a note about this at some point. And to me, there the difference. Uh, well, number one, I don't. I think that younger people are more heavily propagandized uh, than they were, you know, about like politics and stuff. Um, and people claim that this is a tactic of the left, like they are trying to lower the voting age because just, you know, the, ide the idealism of the communist or socialist message is powerful or it's powerful to an idyllic mind somebody because you're basically just saying hey you know you're we we want poor people to have a guaranteed place to live guaranteed health care guaranteed school you know a, a guaranteed job and the alternative is that they just, you know, die in the streets. 
Um, you know, and and they also, oh, you know, we we also want to protect the environment. You know, all these things. The way they say it, you in order. Like they get there first, you know, and, and it's just this simple message. It's just simple thing in it. And a child or a young person and sadly, probably even most adults, they they aren't built into question the validity of any of that, you know. So I, I think it, it's a message that really appeals to younger people, whereas, you know, the kind of libertarian property rights argument for environmentalism it's a little more nuanced although i would argue that it is correct and the idea of having the government protect the world's ecosystem is is a bad bad plan that won't work um that has led you know the regulations are what has led to this um People not being able to protect their own property or not being able to own property, having gigantic, you know, parts of the country owned by the government and not by private uh, property or private ownership or, you know, leads to uh, really damaging the environment. So, but anyway, this is not the time for this argument. Um, But I also see, you know, older friends of mine that should at this point at least in my opinion be able to question and at least dig a few inches beneath beneath the surface um, but they don't and and I see it in really really clearly I think in this impeachment and the Russian investigation with Trump um, I mean, by any objective measure, the the Russian investigation was a complete failure. I mean, they absolutely got nothing on them. But liberal friends of mine, older ones too, will chalk it up as a success because of the indictments. All of the indictments, right, have nothing to do with Russia interfering with the elections or Trump working on behalf of, a, you know, a foreign country. None of it. It's all basically they withheld information from the investigators, which were investigating a fictionalized uh, offense. So, I, you know. I don't know how I like I really don't know, like the mental gymnastics that are required um, well, there's no gymnastics, right? It's just like nothing. They're just like blobs on the couch. Their brains are. They may have physically fit bodies, but their brains are just thousand pound blobs that never, ever, ever get off the couch. And that's to me, you know, there's uh, certainly a big health crisis in the United States because we're just fatter and fatter. And I'm certainly helping that statistic get worse um but to me that you know there is the analogous brain (laughs) corollary in the united states and i'm sure at least across the western world where it's the equivalent nobody works out their brain nobody exercises critical thinking i'm not saying nobody but less and less do and what passes as critical, and now there's like it's like 
they you, to me it's like critical thinking with guardrails where it's like okay well now here we'll present to you this one expert that they've like hand picked to further you know push their their uh you know push their idea on you but just to make it seem like oh well this guy uh has a phd in some science so this must be true as if there aren't you know hundred hundreds of thousands of, of scientists in the world or whatever maybe even millions i don't know um you know i i can think of uh over the last couple of months I, dave smith did an episode uh, where he was examining this kind of year in review on i don't know if it was the show meet the press or something and it's you know all this stuff about um you know fake news and and all these you know like things like that and where they just paint uh you know the right as the source of all this is trump of all this and they bring on people to talk about it but they literally never ever bring one single person onto the show to challenge anything that they're saying but the, it's like sold to you as if this is like the real press now. Like now we're we're dealing with the, the these people are just like beyond reproach. You cannot question their integrity. These are the real intellectuals. This their opinion. You you if you are a smart person, you know, if you're a good moral person, then you have to have the same opinions as them anything out other than that and you know you're either dumb or you're a racist uh and you're a nazi um pretty crazy pretty crazy and so you know that's that's the thing it's like at every level it's just dumb 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 but they dress it up a little bit differently and so oh, well, I watch read, uh, Meet the Press every Sunday morning at 8 a.m. Most of the, you know, stupid, uh, whatever, fat rednecks aren't even awake yet. Or they're probably getting ready to go to church. <laughs> stupid Christians. So, you know, you got that or oh, I read the New York Times or The Economist. Oh, my God. There's no more like fucking pseudo intellectual fucking <laughs> publication, I think, in the world than The Economist. So uh, I'm not saying I'm sure smart people. I'm saying the, the readership, the readership of The Economist is whew, that's tough. They're tough to deal with because, man, they are so fucking sure that they are smart. And so self-assured that they, you know, they're right because they read The Economist, you know, can't, nothing can, nothing could get, get past that. And um, anyway, you know, and, and I, I think this, you know, they don't want to read an old book. They don't want to read something that like Mises wrote in like whenever Mises was writing early 1900s or something. Because people think that everything's different now because now there's computers and somehow, you know, economics 
the laws of economics don't apply or they need to be reworked or something. I don't know. You know, that's how they will start to argue about how robots now are going to take over the world, even though, you know, you've had robotic assembly lines for how many years? I mean, literally my entire life, I think. I don't know. Maybe in the 80s it started. Somehow people have still managed to make jobs and people have taken them and worked them and been paid. Uh, the uh, So, okay. So the young people, the propagandizing. And then there is... So... I was thinking back to the 60s, right? So it was like the 60s, when I was young, we really, at least, you know, me and, and my friends and stuff, we, I, we really looked back to that as like super fucking cool. And the 80s, you know, growing up in it seemed kind of cheesy. Like the 60s, man, they were out there fighting for something, making super cool music. You know, just people like Jimi Hendrix and stuff. And I mean, it just seemed like this purpose. They're fighting for civil rights. They're fighting to, you know, get out of uh, Vietnam. You know, all, all this stuff. And, you know, it seemed so righteous and awesome. And sometimes, you know, I wonder now, I wonder uh, if it was as real. Um, I mean, one thing you certainly say is that they their their causes were real right i mean the vietnam war was fucking pure evil and uh you know the civil rights there actually were racist laws and uh now i'm not really sure what you know there's still racism for sure but uh you know i mean if you're petitioning the government i'm just not sure what like what's left to change to me like the racist laws that i believe are mostly left are the ones that are you know racist in favor of minorities you know like affirmative action type stuff or whatever um but i don't think uh you know i mean all the it's been fixed you know like Originally, things were not equal for different sexes and races under the eyes of the law, and now they are, except they are have gone too far, and, you know, there, there's laws that favor the minorities and are not actually equal, um, but whatever, I mean... I don't think they're that big a deal. I mean, honestly, uh, they mostly, I think, wind up hurting them. Uh, we've talked about this in, in past episodes. I don't, it's not like as a white guy, I'm like worried that there's affirmative action because it's going to hurt white guys getting jobs. I think, I don't, I don't like it because I think that it, it, you know, I, I don't even think it affects anything, honestly. It's just like this idea that's out there that lets some people still hold on to the idea that like, oh, you know, maybe this guy wouldn't have gotten his job, this black guy or, you know, I don't know. I really doubt that it's ever used in like a uh, really effective way to help anybody, but whatever. So um, to me, the other... Uh, the other difference 
between now and what I imagine was happening in the 60s, and certainly at least when I was a child. I mean, to me, the big cultural thing when I was young was hip-hop, um, and certainly, you know, grow like the beginnings of, you know, gay rights and stuff like that was, was going on. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think it was already pretty well... Um, on its way um, by the time I was, you know, in high school. But, you know, I don't recall people in high school being, like, openly gay. And I think now it's something that's relatively normal to see. Um, so I'm sure there were people that, you know, whatever. It, but I, but the hip-hop revolution uh, in music to me was the big thing. And, and it was a real, real... Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess race was at the forefront. And maybe it's just just my experience because I was so into hip hop and everything, um, and still am to this day. But you know, that certainly was not accepted. You know, the media wasn't at, in the in the eighties. Uh, they were still you know attacking NWA and whatever you know all this stuff now i mean now hip-hop's very mainstream and you know whatever but back then it wasn't but the culture that these young people are getting kind of propagandized into to me it's already the mainstream as far as you know what's on cnn you know it's not radical to be pro you know trans you know children i guess that would be where i would i guess start to have some maybe controversy with it you know um i definitely don't like the idea of forcing people to put any type of bathroom into their establishment but that's just the libertarian in me um but you know you can't make one for you know 50 two genders so you know you can't have somebody have 52 bathrooms so then i guess you know that whole crazy argument where it's like well now that now they all have to be all gender and then that kind of makes it like okay so now they have to be a bunch of individual bathrooms instead of like two big ones um you know whatever i mean but (laughs) it's so like tiny and and again in the 60s they're trying to stop the vietnam war in the uh late 2010s they're trying to get bathrooms changed to being all gender that's what the young people are fighting for while there's an actual genocide going on in yemen and a whole bunch of other borderline genocides in the middle east all the result of you of the u.s if not like actually being you know done by the u.s military themselves you know so you know that's a big difference and the things that they think they're so wild for are like straight up mainstream cnn nbc meet the press whatever they're all down for everything that like you know like the they it's like they're just anti-trump that that's what whatever or like anti-republican 
But that's not, I don't know. To me, and you're young and you're you're fired up. I just think you would be a little bit more than just like a lockstep Democrat. You know, especially when the Democrats are warhawks. You know, like they're just fucking neocons and they change like a little bit of the window dressing. It's the same thing. And, you know, I've become aware recently that some people um, that I would, I just assumed everybody knew what a neocon is or what I mean by that. But apparently I'm getting a little bit older than I realized. So a neocon is a neoconservative. And this is no like official designation of them or description. But it's it's essentially uh, dif- differentiating them from like the older, old Republicans. And I guess the first one would probably have been Ronald Reagan. Uh, But it's essentially like they're the empire builders. You know, they are they have this very aggressive foreign policy where they're going out and attacking, you know, uh, other countries for, you know, whatever reason. um, And basically just like built setting up military outposts out there. And they tore through South America and Central America. And then now they've they've been tearing through the Middle East for the last 20 years. Who knows what, you know, where they want to go next. We've we've been saying for a long, long time that Iran is their target is, you know, that's the, the goal in the Middle East. And they're getting damn close to popping off there um so we'll see what what the plan is after that um but yeah it's a neo neo conservative that neo meaning like the new conservative so the neo conservative is is you know before the republicans were not the war party the republicans were the the like protectionists like the uh yeah i mean that's what they would be accused of. I mean, they were the ones that like di- that wanted to stay out of these foreign entanglements and stuff like that. And and the Democrats were much more likely to do that. And <clears throat> you know the um, the new neoconservatives are far more authoritarian. They're much more into like this p- kind of big police state. It's all all under the the guise of like protecting the people you know protecting against these enemies outside and and you know we have to build up the surveillance state and all you know all this stuff and um so you know to some but they're not really like nationalist um you know that like the sort of trump supporters get accused of uh they're just you know they basically just want to build up this empire and if you're willing to play ball then you can live and play ball means you know let the american or western interests come in and do whatever they want economically you know they want to run they want to run your country and your leader will get rich and they'll bleed your country dry um, and, you know, so this neocon thing is not limited to the United States. It's, you know, most of the Western countries. And, you know, the ones that are opposed to it are all the, you know, all the enemies, all the enemies that, that you're taught to hate and fear. 
And I'm not saying the enemies are not bad. I don't know. You know, China's certainly on that list. Um, China ain't good. But doesn't mean I think we should go to war with China. Russia, certainly an enemy of these neocons. Uh, Iran, you know. So, and then, uh, you know, every deposed leader that you've seen in the Middle East and, and in South and Central America all probably fell into that category of opposing the neocons' will. So they were eventually killed. And it did not matter if they were democratically elected or not, they were killed. Killed and removed, and they installed a puppet regime. And they've just been doing it in country after country after country. And people are just getting very, very, very rich. There is um, uh, Mance Raider. I forget what his. He, I think he went back to his actual real name, but it's the he's of like Free Man Bond the Wall podcast. He's a libertarian guy. He's actually also in Georgia. His uh, most recent episode talks a bit about um, like who profits, you know, who actually profits from all this war in the Middle East. Now, that's the title of it. Admittedly, I feel like the podcast didn't really go that deeply into it. Um, well, not what I was sort of hoping. I, I think their conversation just sort of went the way it went. Uh, but still an interesting, um, it's still an interesting interview. And it's a guy that um, somebody that I'm definitely, and I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now, but I'm going to kind of look up, you know, where he, hopefully he also is a podcast man. No, he has some sort of show. He lives in Japan now, uh, but he sounds like he really, you know, would be a nice addition to, you know, listening to Scott Horton and, and the Ron Paul, uh, what does he call it? The Liberty Report. Um, so, Ron, yeah, if you don't, that's one of the best. Ron Paul puts out like a maybe 15 or 20 minute, sometimes a little bit more podcast almost every day of the week called The Liberty Report. And, you know, still the so all the good stuff. And he hits it real quick and not like a lot of interview stuff. It's normally just kind of the, the news of the day or the big one that, you know, would be important to us. Um, so anyway, uh, let's get back to what we were talking about here. So. This was just sort of talking about all the stuff around the Trump impeachment and, um, you know, just the the ever worsening environment around us. So uh, also there's the Demo there have been the Democratic debates. Uh, I haven't really watched much of them. I think. Well, for most of the time, Biden had been leading, and uh, I, I believe that, you know, Bernie's been <clears throat> getting a, getting a little bit stronger. I think Elizabeth Warren is probably not going to be the candidate, and um, so it's between two old white men <laughs> and the Democrats. Man, I mean, they talk so much shit. And then now they're just deciding between two old white guys. It's so funny. I mean, like, I don't give a shit. But, you know, I'm not the one that's out there fucking constantly denigrating old white men. <laughs> and then that's that's who your party puts up there? I mean, like, what is going on with that? How... <laughs> I mean, is that like what I wonder how you're supposed to interpret that? Is it saying that 
So certainly, right? I mean, any mainstream media outside of Fox News, you've been pretty anti-white and anti-man over the last whatever, certainly since Trump's, you know, since Trump was running and then elected in his presidency. And, you know, I mean, you would think, I, I mean, you watch CNN and you would think that at least on the Democrats, like, so let's just lop off all non-Democrats, only looking at them, you would think from, from CNN that, like, this, like, it's going to be like 95% of these people want to see a non-white male as the candidate. Like, that's who they're going to get behind. Anything outside of that, you know, you can make it a white female or a black man. Hey, they had an Asian man, you know, but none of these other options, you know, work. And I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a good thing. You know, maybe it shows that, like, despite what appears to me like just pounding rhetoric that... They're still like the Democrats are still listening to what their people are saying and are kind of like, all right, well, and I don't want to go into this very much. Number one, because I'm not uh, an expert whatsoever. Um, this It's so hard to listen to these debates. Um, but number two, there's a lot of other places you can go to get. A lot more complete and entertaining coverage. Certainly, Dave Smith is mo- almost. I think all the debates, the Democratic debates this year, he's done an episode after. They've been pretty detailed and fun. Um, but you know, like you, it seems like you kind of have the sort of socialist Democrat candidates. You know, like Bernie, and I, I guess Warren, and then you have the more like centrist Biden um, and the uh, booty gag or whatever his name is. And I'm not really sure where Yang falls. I mean, I get like, I feel like his whole thing was just like, I'm going to give out a thousand dollars a month to everybody, which sounds cool. But I think like, it's like, Hey man, like we're on the brink of war, <laughs> you know, with a pretty, pretty strong enemy, like let's you know let's hear about that and you know as I mean it's something that and this is essentially Dave Smith's take I mean on it it's just like it seems like it's Bernie's for the taking you know and and uh, it just will depend on if if he's sort of willing to to actually say like the truth and you know because um, now it's because of the Iran stuff, it's becoming a little bit more cool to be anti-war. Uh, obviously, Tulsi was too anti-war for them to stomach. But, you know, once you get into that that area, I mean, you know, Bernie, uh, he has everybody, you know, beat by a landslide, particularly Biden. I mean, Biden was a vice president while Obama was in office where the Syria war... Uh, the Yemen just absolute catastrophe, a genocide started, Libya, and then, and he kept Afghanistan and Iraq wars going. 
uh, maybe even Egypt, uh, that whole thing occurred while Obama was in office. So, I mean, just, you know, I mean, Biden's just got no leg to stand on when if he's trying to present himself as like opposed to like attacking Iran, whereas like Bernie legit is like, okay, he's opposed to it. And like, I mean, I agree with his ideas, but like, you know, he's been saying the same things. I mean, he seems pretty consistent, but I don't know. We'll see. I am be pretty. It would be pretty crazy to me if they actually let Bernie through. Um, you know, I mean, I think he would have won it, won the nomination last time. You know, but the DNC pretty much conspired against him. So we'll see if they do it again. Um, but yeah, so that was big, big stuff happening. Um, as far as like election stuff uh, or just, you know, political parties, uh, there is a libertarian party <clears throat> and it's been kind of a nightmare. Uh, we had Gary Johnson and um, as our candidate last last election. And what's it? Bill Weld. Uh, Bill Weld's base was basically like a neocon. And uh, let's see. So there's also um, completely Nick Sarwak, who's like the head of Libertarian Party. I don't know what his position's called. Maybe it's called the president or something. But anyway, um, these these uh, while well, Sarwak and a lot of other people they kind of represent this. They call them the la- like left libertarians. <clears throat> And they, well, so there was sort of a movement from like Tom Woods and then uh, Dave Smith and Scott Horton. And then I guess, you know, a number of other people that have pretty significant voices, probably the most popular voices in the libertarian movement, you know, as far as the, the size of their following. And they, you know, want to bring, they basically are saying like, fuck this. The libertarian party's like completely lost its way. Like we're not even like our candidates aren't even clear on like being against gun control anymore. And they sort of fumble around with like foreign policy and anti-war and, we, you know, we we either gotta like step up and change this, or we're gonna like lose the name libertarian altogether. So they uh, they've decided to join the Libertarian Party, and they're really trying to get their listeners and stuff to join as well and vote. Um, you know, in the upcoming elections or whatever, however you you do this, and they are backing a particular candidate named Jacob Hornberger. And so, if you are a libertarian, and if you do like, you know, buy into the non-aggression principle, and you know, the Austrian theory of economics and all that stuff, Hornberger is pretty good. I mean, he's not like a total voluntarist or anarcho-capitalist or whatever. Um, but he's, you know, he's pretty similar to Ron Paul and uh, I, I think in most of his views and, and you know, I, I, I listened to a pretty lengthy interview he had and I, I thought it was, I thought he started off a little slow, but by the end, I, you know, I, I was really into him. I, I think he has a way of, you know, expressing 
you know, the the sort of the libertarian position and the libertarian values. Um, and that to me is kind of the most important thing is that, you know, we're not we're not like the Libertarian Party is not electing somebody that's going to become president of the United States. The Libertarian Party's candidate for president right now is just our most visible, you know, proponent of our philosophy. And I think first and foremost, the person has to be able to communicate these ideas and they got to be strong on them. You know, they don't have to be electable. They're not. They're, I mean, they're they're objectively not electable because they're the Libertarian Party candidate for president. So, you know, Gary Johnson was an idiot. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if he is dumb in for real, but he's not good in front of the media and he's not good in debates. And so, you know, I think putting somebody like this up and then, the, you know, the, the other people are not even good on, on like issues and stuff. So um, that's kind of the thing. And, and there's like a bunch of this like left libertarian thing where they're attacking Tom Woods or like calling them like closet like fascists or racists and like you know i don't know like not not I, you know it's just it's really really dumb and i see it a lot but how do i see it i see it because tom woods replies on twitter or retweets it or dave smith interviews them you know on the podcast and i mean I, I mean, the guy Dave Smith interviewed, it's like fine, I guess. Like, like the guy's all right, you know. Um, I mean, I, I, again, I assume we agree on most stuff, which to me is the whole point. Like, I don't get this, like, fighting. Like, uh, you know, the non-aggression principle allows for people to be racist, you know. And that that's not part of, like, libertarian doctrine is that you're not a racist. Um so I, I really don't get it. I mean, I get like, sure, if Jacob Hornberger was like obviously racist, like I wouldn't want that guy as the the Libertarian Party uh, candidate or whatever. And I guess if you think that like Dave Smith is this closeted racist or something, somehow a Nazi, a Jewish Nazi, then I mean, I guess you wouldn't like it. But, <clears throat> you know, it like. You know, it all boils down to like really stupid, you know, again, it's like one little word. And it's it's funny because the last main you know thing I want to hit is the Iran uh, war. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what was happening before uh, like 1953 or even 1979, which is what most, you know, neocons start their memory at uh but i wanted to go uh, quickly and, and i'm not an expert or but you can see like again like the difference between like it's the same thing like with the the liberal sort of like i don't know like racist like weird i don't know this just weird agenda that that's going on right now like one tiny misspoken you know word and, you know, you're you're like a racist uh, Nazi or whatever. And it doesn't matter, like, if, you know, if Ron Paul has literally published volumes of books, given, you know, thousands of hours of speeches and, and been in debates for years and years and years. It's like if they can uncover one questionable thing that, you know, came through a newsletter 
you know, or, or that he says something nice about somebody that they deem to be, you know, racist or whatever, that he is now branded a racist. So it's like, hey, we're, you know, every piece of evidence that, that you have, like, you know, let's say we have one billion pieces of evidence and you have one kind of weak implication that he be saying something nice about you know uh, another person that you've deemed racist like there's no you know there's no like legitimate way that 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 then you throw out the other billion pieces of like non-racist like beautifully crafted like anti-war anti-fed anti the war on drugs you know all that stuff you, you it just it's like it's just nonsense and so i think that it's almost to me like pandering to even just talk to them you know like it's 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 like it's just nonsense like and i'm all for like having debates and having discussions again like to me they're just like look if you want to argue that like you don't buy in the capitalism and and like you know you don't buy the idea of like property rights or or maybe you think homesteading's bullshit and and if you don't buy in homesteading as far as like how do you obtain property in the first place and you think like homesteading's illegitimate or whatever you know like okay you know like let's 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 talk like to me like that's a place to to discuss but if you don't even fucking appreciate or even understand like what are the underpinnings of any of this stuff and you're just sort of shouting that somebody's racist because they said something positive about another person that you also that you think is racist and you know by the uh i don't know some property you know you've attached that tag now to them i mean it's just like i don't know there's a difference you know like i'll listen to bernie sanders talk i guess like he's consistent and i and i don't i don't agree with his policies but like i believe that the dude's like thought about it you know that he's not just completely going off half cocked and you know and some of the stuff i agree like at least the dude's anti-war you know elite to some extent at least so uh that that's just kind of how i've been thinking about it i mean i it, it feels almost like these these like left libertarian people are like like honestly like almost like plants or something like is this just i mean so i you know i follow like some one antifa page and like a portland one and it you know it's like ridiculous i mean the the like the way that they twist every story uh that comes out to you know to benefit them it, it's it's pretty you know it's pretty shocking to to watch from the outside um and I mean, I, you know, I wouldn't put it by them to like try to infiltrate like the libertarian movement and and spread their like message. You know, I mean, I feel like there's a pretty long history of of like communist tactics like that. And they're pretty into like actual communism, you know, like so I, I wouldn't be I don't know. I mean, otherwise, I don't really know. Like, I don't know how you dig Rothbard and like and have that click and then like you know become like this weird thing where you you don't care about 
the fact that somebody is anti-war, anti-war on drugs, opposed to the Fed, the only thing you care about is that they complimented somebody that you think is racist. And because of that, you will just like attack this person, you know? Um, but these people have like no following, nothing. And the reason that they have any more following now than they used to is because Dave brings them on the show and interviews them. And now like, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of people Dave has listening, maybe a million. I don't know. They, uh, you know, like Tom Woods replies to them, which is effectively retweeting them or, you know, what Dave Smith does. And like, I mean, just like. Fuck them, man. Like, I, I mean, there's so much shit on Twitter. And I'm not saying I don't get pulled into talking about stuff. Normally, it's about stupid sports stuff. Um, but, and, and not, again, like, don't, I'm not saying don't engage with anybody. But, you know, I don't know. There's got to be some limit. Like, what, like, what's the point? Like, what, like, they're just, it's just borderline nonsense. And I know people will say, like, oh, libertarians, like, they're just, like, not even, they don't even matter. Like, don't even engage them. I get it. I get it. But the difference is, is what I'm saying is right and what they're saying is wrong. You know, like, you can say that. I mean, you could walk into a ring with, with Mike Tyson and say, oh, don't even worry about him. Like, he's a pussy. He can't even punch. But... That doesn't mean it's true. And then you could walk into a ring with like a little child and then somebody say, hey, don't even worry about that kid. He can't even punch. And then it would be right. You know, so it's like, I don't know what to say. You got to fucking actually think and actually look at the content of stuff. You cannot just look at one sentence and then make your decision. So. Sorry. So sometimes I may actually say the same words in a single sentence that somebody I disagree with says, but that doesn't mean that it should be evaluated in the same way. So fuck the left libertarians. Don't retweet their shit. It's just stupid, you know? And if you like Jacob Hornberger, maybe get involved. Maybe join the Libertarian Party. And, you know, go from there. See how you can help. Uh, because I, I actually do care about the Libertarian Party, you know, because it is the sort of lone, you know, it's probably the most, uh, you know, kind of out there thing we have to, to educate people. So one last thing before I talk about Iran was, uh, and just really quickly going to touch on this, I think I'm going to follow up with some more, maybe another episode. Uh, but more came out about Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, more photos. Um, there was a 60 Minutes piece on it. And, I mean, it really doesn't look good as far as it does not look like the dude killed himself. <coughs> and, you know, there's still some people that think it's not him. I really have no idea how to determine that. Um I mean it it basically looks like him. I, I, I don't I don't really know. But let's just, you know, for the sake of this next little segment, we'll just assume that that is actually him in the in the pictures. They found um well, I mean to, the main thing is the marks on his neck. There's blood on his neck, there's like cuts and stuff on his neck. And it's um, 
It's also the location of it. So it's it's so sort of like lower down on his neck and like you know they're saying like basically like if if you hang yourself especially in that manner kind of, kind of leaning off of the bed it's going to slide up and it's going to kind of go under your jaw and sort of choke you out kind of slowly that way um but his is you know these like cuts and stuff lower down multiple there's no uh I, I don't know that it's even clear which noose there's a number of nooses quote unquote nooses in his uh all um in his cell there's there's blankets all over the place um it there's weird there's all, apparently it was also a bunch of medication that he had in there which is super weird and I think there was even um, electrical cord. I mean, there was some sort of electrical device that had a cord. Again, somebody was just taken off Suicide Watch, who you know, who they uh, claim like actually tried to kill himself before. <clears throat> I don't know. So very, very suspicious, of course. Um, as all this is, I mean, I didn't think the guy killed himself before. I don't think anything about these follow-up photos or anything <clears throat> make me think any, you know, anything else but that this guy tried to kill himself. And um, there's been some stories about Ghislaine Maxwell as far as where she's at right now and apparently like under some kind of guard and being protected i think i want to say israel i don't even feel like really looking up stuff right now or i just wanted to mention it i just wanted to you know kind of just say like hey i did a couple of you know full episodes about epstein and i think it's a really big deal i and i would like to follow up on this in a in a you know uh, a subsequent episode <clears throat> but you know the main thing i wanted to talk about an hour like a full hour in was iran so recently if we go backwards we start at the end Recently, Iran shot missiles at some, I guess, U.S. air base in Iraq. But before that, the U.S. military executed or assassinated a very, very important Iranian general. But <laughs> before that, the uh, you are uh, a bunch of protesters in Iraq were uh, kind of going at the U.S. embassy, sort of uh, storming the gates or whatever. They didn't get very far. This is this would be that if you remember, the U.S. embassy in Baghdad is larger than the Vatican, so it's a massive, massive place. They you know it's a military installation for sure these people were not you know this wasn't like an armed 
group trying to really engage or take over. Rewind back from that. Apparently, there was a funeral because uh, the U.S. had bombed. Let's see. A bunch of. Uh, <clears throat> I killed a bunch of people that were fight. Actually, were fighting like ISIS, Al Qaeda, and these are a lot of Iraqis. Um, you know, and so that that sort of triggered these protests and so you can just go on and on right it's tit for tat tit for tat and at any point if you pretend there's no history and you cherry pick the moment in time that you would like you can start to create the narrative that supports the side that you want you know that you want to be the victim right you could say, hey, the U.S. was peacefully sitting in their embassy and a bunch of people attacked it. So they, you know, fired back and they attacked. I mean, it's tough to definitely. I mean, it, it kind of falls apart pretty quickly because it's like what, you know, the people that they killed or not, the people that were protesting and sort of throwing rocks at their embassy but whatever um you know and and certainly on <clears throat> the iran side you could just say oh they killed you know this general and Soleimani or whatever his name was and so that's why they fired the missiles so you know a lot of people say well the neocons will talk about how iran has been you know, this big supporter of terrorism all across the, you know, international terrorism, an enemy of the United States, an enemy of Israel for years and years. And they'll point back to the hostage crisis in 1979 and that so they'll try to start, you know, history there. And they'll point to a bunch of random stuff, which Scott Horton could will easily poke holes through like 99% of that. Uh, Iran is given credit for a bunch of stuff that they have nothing to do with. One of the big ones is the the war in Yemen, the civil war there. Now the Houthis, who are the the actual like native people in in Yemen that are being attacked by Saudi Arabia and by Al Qaeda, all supported by the U.S. and there have been U.S. troops in Yemen fighting as well. This is all come out. So the idea that we're just giving logistical help is a is an absolute lie. There are definitely U.S. troops on the ground in Yemen, or at least there were, and this is documented for sure. This is not like. You know, they weren't like accidentally deployed there. Uh, but the Houthis are Shiite. So it's funny that like all of a sudden, you know, how ignorant they can be to like Sunni and Shiite and how just fucking insane their strategy is because it, like obviously they don't give a shit about that. But then they suddenly become very aware and they say, hey, the Houthis are Shia and Iran is basically Shia. So Iran must be the ones supporting the Houthis. And so 
all the blame for Yemen goes on Iran. This is a uh, this is an absolute lie. All of the blame goes on the U.S., Saudi Arabia, and Al Qaeda for attacking a fucking sovereign country, right? I mean, there's no that. So anyway, that uh, Iran and 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 the uh, the Houthis over the years since the war in Yemen uh, has been going on have begun to cooperate to some extent or at least talk have some communications but it's not the same group it's not you know it's not that this Iran it's not an Iranian backed revolution which you know they'll they'll try to tell you that it is um, but you know things like that so they'll say stuff like that and and it's you know, nobody can really argue about that unless you're like Scott Horton, right? Like, unless you just like happen to know all of the fucking details of of the Middle East. Um, but you know, I think you can also do uh, a little bit like higher level analysis, which I always sort of lean on. The fact is that we're over there; they are not over here. We the United States military is invading these countries. These countries' militaries are not invading the United States. So to me, that's like the objective fact. The in, like inarguable fact is that, right? That's just, okay, let's set the scene. Now explain this scene to me. The onus of proof is on the United States to show how they are justified for doing any of this stuff. And then you find out it's just all lies. I mean, you know, something, oh, the Afghan papers. I don't think she's, well, even me in real life, like I, I barely even like gotten into them, but very, very damning. And, uh, the other thing was WikiLeaks about the uh, the Syria chemical attacks being completely bogus. The whole UN. So they had they WikiLeaks released all these documents about UN inspectors, the ones that actually did the inspection, and none of them found none of them found that there was chemical attacks and it was all like suspicious and whatever and then the actual report came out and none of the the uh the actual un inspectors that actually did the inspection were part of that report so it was a completely fabricated report the syria did not gas its own people that's the take-home message that was a fucking lie like blatant lie you know what i mean they're just piling up to the ceiling right weapons of mass destruction yellow cake uranium bashing babies uh out of incubators that was the old one right that was from the first gulf war um uh, you know what else do we have i you know i don't know man there's a whole bunch of them a whole bunch of lies and they just grow and grow and they never ever stop and these Afghani, the Afghani papers, or the stuff that came out about the Afghanistan war, you know, it's just bananas. I mean, the you have like generals saying from from like early on that they just have no idea, like what's even the goal here, and they're lying about it. Um, oh man, there was something uh, 
Dave Dave Smith caught this and, and played it. There was uh, Nancy Pelosi in an interview talking about the impeachment and addressing the idea that this is like petty or just political or whatever. And she cited as proof that she wasn't like that, that she wasn't petty, that this was truly just the worst thing that ever happened. This Ukrainian phone call, um, you know, was the worst thing that she's ever seen. And, and, you know, Trump had to go because of it. And she cited as an example that she knew that they were lying about the intelligence before the Iraq war and keeping it from the people and deceiving the people. She knew that. She said, we saw the intelligence. We knew that they didn't have, you know, the weapons of mass destruction. And that was okay with her. That's not an impeachable offense. <coughs> Lying the United States into war as a president is not impeachable. But having a phone call where I guess you imply that you would like them to investigate some claims about, I don't even know, man, corruption, whatever, that could possibly politically benefit the president, that's impeachable. So that, I mean, we already knew, like, it's, it's an absolute fact that they were lying about the weapons of mass destruction. We know that for sure. But, you know, just to have it verified so, like, nonchalantly and just so, like, so stupidly that you wouldn't think to say, like, oh, man, you know, maybe I shouldn't say that I knew for sure that we lied ourselves more. But you know what? It doesn't fucking matter because nobody's paying attention. Nobody's listening. Just, like, Scott Horton and Dave Smith and, like, me, I don't know, me and the fucking hundred people that listen to this podcast or whatever. Like, who knows? Nobody cares. Nobody fucking cares. I mean, it, I mean, I guess they're like, you know, sort of starting to care because they can now kind of finally have a war that Obama didn't start or participate in. So now they can sort of get anti-war. But they don't fucking care. And they definitely don't care about like the previous you know pattern of a lying because then they would have to admit that you know obama was part of that as well and they can't so anyway the uh you know all these lies and and then here we are again so i uh, I remember a while ago seeing a a documentary, and I don't remember what the actual overall subject of it was. I don't think it was like Iran, but I'm not totally sure. But they did a pretty extensive uh, uh, section of the documentary on Iran before 1953, which was the the coup led, you know, by the CIA uh, that took out their democratically elected leader. And they, so it was a lot about that and about the coup and about the CIA stuff. And um, I think it was Alan Dulles. I think this is he was a big part of this. And and it, it was a lot about like this is where 
these types of tactics were really first tried out um, and then then they've used it over and over you know throughout throughout the world particularly South America, Central America, and then, you know, you probably in Africa, I'm a little less aware. I mean, I know Somalia, so this is an absolute nightmare. Um, but I'm not sure if we actually deposed a, like, democratically elected leader there. Um, <clears throat> but something I was thinking about, it's like, so my, I tend to like when anybody brings up Iran, uh, you know, I kind of say, well, you know, I mean, in 1953, you know, the CIA led a coup and a disinformation, you know, program to get the get uh, rid of their democratically elected leader, you know, and 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 then installed sort of some puppet that was there for a long time, and you know, and we were definitely there before then or whatever. Like, I and and you know, so I'm sort of starting history at 1953. Which certainly, you know, paints the U.S. in a very poor light, and and I thought, well, you know, I would like to know a little bit, kind of before that. Um, I even left a comment on Scott Horton's page asking him if he had any recommendations of episodes that he had done before. Um, Oh, here's a. I, I might give somebody replied, replied to that, and um, history of the U.S.-Iran conflict. Explain. He says this is pretty good, and it goes back to 1903. So I'm actually going to go back to 1908, um, and as I like to do, I kind of just did this through um, Wikipedia. I like unless I find like a really big issue with it. Um, and I, I'm not saying that Wikipedia, you know, can't be, um, you know, propaganda or whatever. I mean, I'm sure it is. It doesn't, but it generally has, you know, facts that are pretty solid. It's like one straight history. It's a nice place to start. <clears throat> and then I can, you know, sort of add a little bit and, and and in this, I don't think you really need to add a ton. I mean, I think, you know, once again, you go back further and you see that, oh, wow, look, it's the United States and it's and it's England. It's actually some Russia, too, and stuff. Um, but it's all there. It's all inside the borders of Iran. You know, where, where am I seeing, oh, Iran you know, took some island in the Caribbean or something, you know, that and, and tried to set up a, a colony there, you know, or whatever. I mean, there's just there's nothing. It's just Iran inside of Iran getting fucked with by the U.S. and Britain and, you know, their allies. So I thought this was a good place to start. Oil. Well, actually, they said petroleum was discovered in 1908 by the British, and this created intense interest in Persia by the British Empire. Uh, so that was the first thing I thought. Uh, <laughs> and that, you know, that's kind of it, right? I mean, that there, there you have it. Uh, I think that without some sort of strategic reason, nobody gives a fuck about Iran, right? So... 
during World War One, the country was occupied by the British, Ottoman, and Russian forces, but was essentially neutral. So, and you you actually find that in World War Two, they were basically they were just neutral. Um, so in 1919, after the Russian Revolution and their withdrawal, Britain attempted to establish a protectorate in Persia, which was unsuccessful. So um, let's see where where am I at here? Okay, so yeah, so we're saying Russian Revolution, like they're referring to like actual communism coming in. So after the Russian Revolution and their withdrawal, uh, Britain tried to establish a protectorate. So I guess tried to make it like one of their fucking part of their empire, and it didn't work. So then Reza Shah ruled for almost 16 years so from so from around 1925 this uh shah reza shah ruled until september 16 1941 when he was forced to abdicate by an anglo soviet invasion of iran <clears throat> this was a joint invasion of iran in 1942 uh by the united kingdom and the Soviet Union. Crazy, right? So they just invaded, they attacked Iran um, during World War II. So Iran, not actually part of World War II in any way whatsoever. They just got invaded by uh, Russia and England. Then they have this one line in here that I thought was kind of interesting, but it says German interests held great influence within Iran in 1941, with the Germans staging, the Germans staging a coup in an attempt to overthrow the Pahlavi dynasty. Uh, with German armies highly successful against Russia, the Iranian government expected Germany. Oh, right, it says citation needed, so I don't, I don't really know. If this is true or not, whatever. With German armies highly successful against Russia, the Iranian government expected Germany to win the war and establish a powerful force on its border. It rejected British and Russians' demands to expel the Germans. This is I found this to be somewhat confusing because Germany tried to have a coup and then they like so then they were in there, but then Iran didn't want them to leave. I, it's very convoluted. And then, but Russian and British demanded that they expel the Germans again, right? I mean, we're not in Europe, right? We're in fucking Iran, like in down in the Middle East. And, and Britain and Germany, I mean, Britain and Russia are like threatening Iran. They attack Iran. I mean, what the fuck? In response, the Allies invaded in 1941 and easily overwhelmed. So that's what we were just talking about. Iran became the major conduit of the Allied Lend-Lease Aid to Soviet Union. The purpose was to secure Iranian oil fields and ensure Allied supply lines. Iran remained officially neutral. Even after being attacked and invaded and occupied, they still were neutral. 
Its monarch, Reza Shah, was disposed during the subsequent occupation and replaced with his younger son, Muhammad, or with his young son, Muhammad Reza Pahlavi. Okay, so that was the situation after World War I. Then in 1951, Prime Minister Mohammad Mossadegh received the vote required from the parliament to nationalize the British-owned oil industry in a situation known as the Abaddon Crisis. Abaddon Crisis, maybe. Despite British pressure, including an economic blockade, the nationalization continued. Mossadegh was briefly removed from power in 1952, but was quickly reappointed by the Shah. Due to popular uprising in support of the premier, and he in turn forced the Shah into a brief exile in August 1953, uh, after a failed military coup by Imperial Guard Colonel somebody in this series. Okay, so <laughs> we got oil discovered in 1908, and this is a whole this was the whole thing right and I, i'm not even really sure that it's oil anymore but this is certainly this is the beginning of it and the british like bp is their company and uh <clears throat> they had like a bunch of you know basically just had control of all the oil fields and then most of deck nationalized him he said fuck that this is Iranian oil. And I mean, I'm not sure how BP exactly acquired this. Maybe they just bought it. I mean, to me, you know, from the libertarian perspective, like, I mean, if somebody sold them the oil fields, then, you know, great. Then they then that's fine. And, and no, I don't agree with them nationalizing it. Um, but... You know, the British government also, like, had sent troops in and, like, attacked this country. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Uh, I, and I don't know that they bought it in the first place. I mean, uh, Britain is pretty imperialistic. <laughs> I mean, you know, so I, I'm not sure. So maybe we should, you know, at some point, take a little time before 1908 and try to see exactly how did the... Um, BP gained control of these oil fields in the first place. Uh, I mean, I think if it's something like, hey, they had like a really shitty leader that just basically like took some under the table money and like gave them land. Well, that's, you know, that's pretty illegitimate as well. So anyway, so where are we at here? So we're basically we're right at the coup, 1953. So I just we just basically got a little bit of background to it. Not a single piece of that background makes the case for the United States whatsoever, right? I mean, granted, it's mostly Britain that's the problem, but you know, and Russia or whatever. But the point is that Iran is just sitting there just taking fucking shit from everybody, right? Or from at least a few very powerful countries. So shortly thereafter, on August 19th, a successful coup, coup was headed by retired Army General Faziola Zahidi. And it was organized by the United States CIA with the active support of British MI6, known as Operation Ajax and Operation Boot, to the respective agencies. The coup 
with a black propaganda campaign designed to turn the population against Mossadegh, forced Mossadegh from office. Mossadegh was arrested and tried for treason. Uh, I think he was not actually killed. He was just like locked up or something. Or how, I think they said house arrest. Anyway, so Iran was ruled as an autocracy under the Shah with American support from that time until the revolution. Pretty wild, huh? So they just they uh, they just put a dictator in place. The U.S. fucking just forcibly removes the the leader and puts a dictator, and uh, you know who is very friendly. The um, you know to the U.S. and I'm sure Britain's interests. There's some other stuff about the well. The Iranian government entered into agreement with an international consortium of foreign companies, which ran the Iranian oil facilities for the next 25 years, splitting profits 50-50 with Iran, but not allowing Iran to audit their accounts or to have members on the board of directors. So, I mean, it's like this country does nothing, right? They just... They keep getting attacked. They keep getting invaded. Then they say, okay, we're going to, we vote for this leader and he is going to take back our oil fields. Now, granted, nationalized, not ideal, but I mean, it's closer to the legitimate owners than Britain, some Britain private company to me. Uh, And, you know, maybe I'm wrong. You give me a better, better picture of the history. Um, But, you know, that's what I'd say. I'm really having a will have a tough time justifying invading Iran based on the fact that they nationalized oil within their own border, taking it away from foreign companies. It's going to be a really tough sell, even to me as uh, you know, anarcho-capitalists. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I'll, I'll try to find out better details about that. Then, so then the CIA organizes a coup, takes out their leader, installs a dictator, and then this dictator organizes a deal where their oil fields are completely controlled and ran by a foreign group that supposedly splits profits, but doesn't show them any proof of of in the books about it. Ugh. All right, so what happens after this? So the Iranian Revolution, also known as the Islamic Revolution, was a revolution that transformed Iran from an absolute monarchy, which is what the U.S. had installed, to an Islamic Republic under Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini, one of the leaders of the revolution and founder of the Islamic Republic. So there, before this, there was like another thing they talk about is this thing called a, the White Revolution, which was like sort of attempting to modernize, I guess, uh, and and you know both in like kind of custom type, you know, the way people dress, but also technology. And I, I don't think it was ex- very successful. Um, and so I, I guess they're just sort of 
showing the kind of growing internal dislike for this and then eventually you know it it builds up um to this you know this revolution where they actually you know kick out i'm trying to see i guess this was in 78 december of 79 is when i guess he was like officially khomeini uh, officially becomes the uh, the leader. So he leads for ten years, and the big things so are now we've gotten to the hostage crisis, and this is what everybody talks about, um, or all the the neocons, everybody that wants to paint Iran as this evil, evil country. An early event in the history. Now, remember, this is November 4th, 1979. So this is towards the end of the year that they were first in control, back running their own show. You know, whether or not you agree with an Islamic republic, it's certainly better than an absolute monarchy installed by a foreign country, right? Like, it is is wild. So, an this is a, like verbatim from Wikipedia. An early event in the history of the Isla Islamic Republic that had a long-term impact was the Iran hostage crisis. Following the admitting of the former Shah of Iran into the United States for cancer treatment, treatment on November 4th, 1979, Iranian students seized U.S. embassy personnel, labeling the embassy... <coughs> A den of spies, 52 hostages were held for 444 days until January 1981. Uh, an American military attempt to rescue the hostages failed. Okay, so this was like a year after or you know, a little less than a year after the end of the revolution where they had their own country. And then the U.S. lets the former, I guess, dictator or you know, monarch into their country um, and they get... Some students get super pissed and take hostages for more than a year. In America, where it was considered a violation of the long-standing principle of international law that diplomats may be expelled but not held captive, it created a powerful anti-Iranian backlash. And this is what I mean. I mean, the double standard... And this is in Wikipedia, right? Like, so this is more of the subtle stuff. And I don't even necessarily think that this is like, oh, they're like actively trying to deceive. This is the way fucking most, I think most people in the United States think. That it's just, it's like, you know, uh, it's like the same thing I was saying with, the, you know, Ron Paul. It's like you got a billion pieces of evidence of him being this just like defender of libertarian you know, uh, philosophy and the nap and anti-war and anti-war on drugs and everything. And this one kind of small thing, the other way, and somehow this one small thing and you throw everything out. So Wikipedia says in America, where it was considered a violation of longstanding principle of international law, the diplomats may be expelled but not held captive – Now, before I go on, we'll just step back to 
Shortly thereafter, on August 19th, a successful coup was headed by retired Army General blah, 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 and organized by the United States CIA. The coup, with a black propaganda campaign designed to turn the population against Mossadegh, forced Mossadegh from office. Mossadegh was arrested and tried for treason. In America, where it is considered a violation of a long-standing principle of international law that diplomats may be expelled but not held captive, Mossadegh was arrested and tried for treason. Like, what the fuck? And that, I mean, that's what you're up against. And, the, and, and it doesn't matter. Nobody fucking cares. Like, it doesn't matter that they're just saying two plus two equals a billion it doesn't matter. Like, you can fucking show them any kind of way that you want, you know? It's like there is no actual logic to this position that Iran is the aggressor. So I hope that if you were ever, you know, at all on the fence or confused about the situation in Iran and thinking that maybe they were some bad hombres, you know, that need to be dealt with. I mean, even Wikipedia that has stuff as stupid as that, you know, where clearly the person writing this or the person that wrote this little section, you know, considers this to be pretty legit. In America, where it's considered a violation of longstanding principle of international law that diplomats may be expelled but not held captive. But I guess somehow it's okay to invade a country and fucking violently remove their leader. They also killed somebody else. Like, I mean, that's okay, but not this. Not students holding people in an embassy that's in their country. Uh, it created a powerful anti-Iranian backlash. Like, God forbid they fucking stand up for themselves ever, you know? And uh, yeah, okay, it's not cool. Don't fucking take people from the American embassy. But, like, again, it's one thing. And one thing, and that's the thing that they will, like, focus on. There's literally nothing else, right? I started in 1908, and now we are up to 1980, and Iran has one event that would be considered aggressive on their side versus 72 years of constant aggression and occupation, attacks, occupation, getting rid of leaders, you know, taking their oil fields from them. 72 years of that. One fucking response. Uh, and the neocons, that's all they fucking need. That's all they need. But the thing is, is they didn't even need it. It doesn't matter. Even without that, it doesn't matter. They don't need anything. It doesn't need to be real. There was no weapons of mass destruction. That was literally just fucking fabricated out of thin air. You know? It doesn't matter. So, uh, relations between two countries have remained deeply antagonistic, and American international sanctions have hurt Iran's economy. Yep. The, the sanctions, I bet, have killed fucking probably hundreds of thousands of people. 
just made life fucking so horrible for people there. Uh, all right. So that's where we get to. And then, and then, Iran-Iraq war. Okay. So this little hostage crisis. And then the U.S. Um, all right. Tens of thousands of Iranian civilians. All right. So the Iran-Iraq war is from 1980 to 88. Right? <clears throat> so this is like right after the Iranian Revolution. You have this uh, hostage crisis thing and then the Iran-Iraq war. And who knows what's about? I mean, you think there's not any conspiracy theories about the hostage crisis? Like, it kind of find, seems almost like the stupid fucking chemical attacks. Like, why would you do this after all this? Like... You've had 72 fucking years of, like, attacks and occupations. You know who these fucking people are. They are not to be fucked with. And that immediately you get, like, you, you finally get a foothold in your own country, and then you go and fucking pull a bunch of people out of an embassy? It seems really fucking dumb. And, I mean, they said it was, like, students, so maybe it wasn't. But, I mean, you could easily have gotten the hostages away from the students, I, I, you know, if, if you were in Iran, I mean, like, the Iran government anyway so that's just really weird um then 1980 i don't even know if this i don't even know if the uh, hostage crisis was over yet and then you have the eight-year iran iraq war where tens of thousands of iranian civilians and military personnel were killed when iraq used chemical weapons in its warfare iraq was financially backed by egypt the arab countries of the persian gulf i guess the I guess not just not Israel, the Soviet Union and the Warsaw Pact states and the United States beginning in 1983, France, the United Kingdom, Germany, Brazil, and the People's Republic of China, which also sold weapons to Iran. Isn't that fucking crazy? Okay, so I forget who the Warsaw Pact states are. Um... Oh, it's like Eastern Bloc. Albania, Bulgaria, East Germany, Poland, blah, 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 blah. All right, who cares? So, <laughs> Iraq fighting Iran and the United States full-on supporting them, right? So, again, like full-on fucking war and the United States is funding their enemy. Okay, once again, I mean, this is like war attacking Iran again, right? This isn't like, I don't know how people can write this off as like blood is not on our hands, you know? And there's a lot, there's there's stuff, and I'm, I'm actually not like really like clear on this, but there's a lot of stuff about the U.S. and the chemical weapons, like in particular, which was some awful, awful shit that happened you know, during that war. And I don't know, like, who started it or whatever. The point is, it's a war between two countries, and we just go and go back one side, along with all these other fucking countries. I mean, like, it's just wild. France, like, fucking France, a country whose shit don't stink. Funding Iraq, and I haven't even mentioned it yet, but it's Iraq! 
Iraq was the biggest enemy of like my like I don't know fucking end of high school into college into like all the way up till now we're still in there now I guess we like murdered everybody that we thought was the enemy but they just voted to get rid of us we're about to start fighting Iraq again we were funding them France was funding them United Kingdom was funding them Germany was funding Iraq all funding Saddam Hussein, right? This isn't just like Iraq from some way past time. This was Saddam Hussein. And this is this was something that I feel like I didn't really appreciate. So the Iraq, Iran, the Iran-Iraq war ends in 1988. Operation Desert Steel, Desert Shield started in 1990. Two years later, two years later, we go from fun, <laughs> funding Iraq and backing them in the war against Iran to attacking them in two years. And this is like, this is what Scott Horton's talking about. Like, there's no way they didn't know that taking out Saddam Hussein was going to turn, like, make Iraq uh, friendly to Iran. <clears throat> I mean, there's no fucking way that they, like, didn't see, like, hey, Iran's enemy, Saddam Hussein, who they warred with for eight years, now we're going to go and attack him and take his regime out and install a fucking Shiite, like where they have, and they always say supermajority, which I think they mean more than two-thirds of Iraq is Shia. There's absolutely no way in hell that the like military like leaders, intelligence people did not know this was going to happen. They they absolutely did. They definitely knew that taking out Saddam was going to create an Iran ally in Iraq, was going to make Iraq Shia and probably the strongest ally of Iran in the region. Why they were doing that, I don't know. I don't know that any of it matters to them. Like, I really don't know. I think they just want to keep it going and make money. They just, like, they make money. All They make, they, uh, you know, this was from that Freeman uh, Beyond the Wall. It's like Peter Quincoes, Quincoes or something now. He used to be, he used to call him Mance Raider though. But uh, anyway, he, he's all, he's all up on the, the libertarian scene. I mean, he's a, he's a pretty big podcast if you don't listen, but his episode just the, uh, the other day, you know, was, was pretty cool. And, you know, the guy, one of the things the guy was talking about was, um, yeah, was about how I think the Apple Podcast app is absolutely fucking horrible. Ryan Dawson. Ryan Dawson is who he had on. Um, so look that guy up. He's pretty interesting. He was talking a lot about, you know, at some point they did get into like who makes the money. And he, he was just talking about how like all these crazy weird groups that are able to fund stuff. He's talking about that fighter jet program that they spent like a trillion dollars on now like that this is the f-35 and he was saying it's a, he's like that's like an international program too it's not just like they're able to route money through a lot of ways like through they do these through like international stuff so they can actually get like foreign aid like routed back into these military contractors and it's our it's it's fucking outrageous so now we, I, I feel like, 
When you read through all that and we talk through all that, the history of Iran, we went from 1908 to the beginning of Desert Shield in 1990. And I mean, I think it's pretty naked, the insanity of this, that there's this country that is just you know, been attacked and attacked and attacked, invaded, occupied, leaders overthrown, students take uh, hostages from an American embassy one time. Sounds like they didn't kill anybody. And somehow they're the most evil, you know, country known to man. We're actually uh, neutral during World War One and World War Two. Didn't stop them from getting attacked, though, and invaded by the Allies, not the Axis. The Allies attacked a neutral country, but it doesn't matter, right? I mean, and this is like, to me, this is this, this is like the slam dunk for the libertarians and how like anybody that isn't anti-war is fucking racist right now. Like, you don't even consider these people human. If you're not against this, like you're not thinking about it. And like, honestly, like I don't see any way around it. Like, dude, if this was a white country, they were mostly whites. People would not be having this. The left wouldn't be having it. The right certainly wouldn't be having it. And you know what? The libertarians still wouldn't be having it because they don't fucking care what color, what race are inside of the country. We just don't. We, it's the non-aggression principle. We just don't want people getting fucking murdered. Fucking, like, peaceful people getting attacked. That's the thing. And we're not judging it based on race. But, you know, there's been, there were some other neutral countries that didn't get attacked. I don't think they were filled with non-whites. Hmm. So, I don't know. So that's the big, the big news. Uh, to me, the biggest thing, because when you get down to like Trump, like I, you know, I'm, I'm out on Trump. Like I think he's been absolutely horrible. You know, I, I recently heard, I, I don't remember who was just recapping, but they just did a real quick, you know, recap and yeah, Trump sucks. Trump, Trump has absolutely been terrible in the Middle East. Everything's worse except Syria. And I don't know, maybe, maybe he's prevented us from going to war with Iran, which obviously is a huge deal. And I, I don't know, you know what I mean? I, yeah, like, I don't know what he's up against. Uh, and I, I guess it's still better. Like, if, if, if Hillary Clinton was in there, we probably would be at war with Iran already. And just, you know, uh, fucking hundreds of thousands of more people would be dead. And another country that's like pretty legitimate would be just completely fucked. So, I mean, but, you know, he's, there's more troops in Iraq than there were, I think, when he started. There's more troops in Afghanistan. I guess there's less troops in Syria. And Yemen is is at least the same. I don't know if it's worse. It's the same. Somalia, I think I think there's more troops now in Somalia than there used to be. I mean, it's not great, but, you know, I, I guess it's like, it's going to be hard to really say he's as bad as Obama or as bad as 
Bush um, or as bad as what I think Hillary would be unless a new war does start. I mean, I, I to me, that's like, oh, like saying there are, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, yeah, okay, so there are more troops in our, in Afghanistan right now than there were, but I, I just don't, <laughs> I mean, it's like, uh, to some extent, sure, we're like splitting hairs, but there's just a big difference to me between that and starting several new wars, which Obama did, you know, like, okay, maybe you wind down some stuff, but Syria, Yemen, and Libya... I mean, Yemen is like a fucking nightmare, man. An absolute nightmare. And uh, so, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like, even if he's ramped things up a little bit and... and uh, but you know what? Fucking as crazy as he is, I, I thought this was it. I really... I thought this was it. I thought they were going to start a war. But it looked like, you know, when I ran, fired back, the last thing... They didn't really hit anything, and you could probably interpret it as purposely missing, and maybe that was enough to allow uh, Trump and us to save face. And you know, and it, you know, and the media just like rips them, of course, and and presents it crazy. They're like, oh well, you know, like as if he's this huge egoed out guy. But it's like, no, that I mean, that's the American foreign policy. We've always been, I mean, certainly in my lifetime, the bully. And when I look back at this, certainly since 1953, we've been the bully just saying, fuck you, this is what we want. And any, you know, I mean, goddamn, a hostage crisis and then the Iran-Iraq war pops off and we just fund the shit out of them. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm really pretty sure that those chemical weapons came from us but i'm gonna have to follow up on that let's see so uh it's not great you know it's not it's it's uh dare i say bad it was really dark um And, uh, you know, something that gets us also to now is the, I, I, there's probably a whole history on like the lies around nukes um, and Iran getting nukes. Apparently, it just like never ends. And it's all a lot of it is like the Netanyahu, uh, him in, in Israel. I mean, there's a lot of sides to this, but like whatever, however you, um, you know, however you you sort of look at it i mean i think like what we just saw is what all of the different angles on this look like it all looks like iran's just fucking sitting there and a bunch of countries are coming in and attacking them and trying to force policies and economic control over their their stuff and they're just like existing you know so Whew. I don't know what's going to happen. The big thing, uh, I don't know what's going to happen as far as the, um, I'm trying to see. Uh, so, you know, there was the big, the last, let's just say this is the last topic or the last piece of this topic and then we'll wrap up. But so um, the Iraqi government 
um, I'm not sure exactly what you call their specific body, parliament, or whatever, but they voted that all, they did it unanimously. This was after uh, the U.S. killed Soleimani. They voted that all foreign forces, all foreign military uh, forces need to leave Iraq. And, of course, the U.S. is like, no, Canada. So there's an article on antiwar.com, actually via canoe.com. I have no idea what canoe is. Uh, some Canada uh, publication. Canada will respect any decision by the Iraqi government to expel foreign troops from the country, Defense Minister Harjit Sajjan said Friday. Even as reports suggest the United States was considering sanctions and cuts to military aid should Baghdad give American forces the boot. I am 100% for cutting military aid to Baghdad. I am 100% against sanctions and I'm 100% for the United States getting completely out of Iraq. Speaking to reporters, uh, by phone during a visit to the Middle East where he met with some of the hundreds of Canadian troops participating in the five-year fight against ISIS. So John and Canada wants to continue its military training efforts in Iraq. Now, I haven't even touched on all the craziness around what has been going on, you know, recently, uh, you know, with like, we've been fighting, like... <laughs> People that we killed were people that we were were helping fight ISIS in Iraq and surrounding areas, and you know, not not to mention that we fight with ISIS when we're in Syria, or you know, the U.S. supports uh, ISIS and Al Qaeda or whatever in their attacks on the Houthis in Yemen. So it just depends on which side of a country's border you are on to whether ISIS and Al-Qaeda are the enemy or the ally of the U.S. military. Yet the minister who visited included stops in uh, in Jordan and Kuwait acknowledged that obviously the Iraqi government has concerns. Now, Western allies are listening to those concerns and trying to address them through talks. However, he added, we we are there at the request of the Iraqi government. If they were to change that, we have to respect that, which they did because they voted to get rid of them. Canada's mission in Iraq is two main elements. One involves 200 troops who have been training local forces through NATO to fight ISIS. Similarly, a number of Iraqi, a number of special forces have been working separately with Iraq counter-terrorist units as part of the U.S.-led anti-ISIS coalition. Both, both elements saw their mission suspended last week with orders for the troops to hunker down on the military bases or, in some cases, relocate to Kuwait over fears Iran or its proxies would retaliate for the U.S. having killed Iran's most important general, Qasem Soleimani. Iran did fall a volley and whatever. And it went well. So, Iraqi parliament passed a non-binding resolution calling for them to leave. While many Sunni and Kurdish parliaments boycotted the vote, outgoing Iraqi Prime Minister Adil Abdul Mahdi voiced his own support for the resolution. Abdul Mahdi, who announced his resignation following mass demonstrations in December but remains a caretaker role for now, has since said he will leave the decision to whether to allow foreign troops to remain in the country to the next government. The U.S. has pushed back against calls for American and allied troops to leave the country. Wall Street reporting that President Trump's administration is considering sanctions and cuts to millions of dollars in military aid. Um, great. 
So, whatever. Anyway, they kind of voted to get us out, I guess. <laughs> uh, a non-binding agreement, whatever that means. It seems like uh, pointless. I don't know. But I don't, I'm not sure what else they have to do to officially get the U.S. out of there. But I would have thought that they had already done it, but they didn't. So, uh, I think we're going to wrap up there. I'm glad to finally get back to this podcast. Um, this was obviously the longest break and some you know, outstanding things. And I, I'll be interested to also hear what it sounds like because I'm in a room that right now doesn't really have any acoustic treatment. So it's probably a lot more like echoey and stuff. I think it's probably usable, but you know, I've kind of prided myself on the quality of the sound before. <clears throat> But I'm working on it. I'm going to start treating this room soon. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if anybody cares. If you're just listening on like earbuds or something, it probably doesn't even matter. Uh, but yeah, I will um, hopefully be getting back on here soon. I think I'm going to, you know, shoot to do a weekly podcast and uh, kind of go from there. All right. Peace, everybody. Stay woke. <laughs>